BJ Council. I view the world through the lens of having been followed by a white clerk as a child while shopping in a five and dime. I'm a retired police executive and own UN50, which gives guidance on surviving interactions with police. I'm Harmony Chavis, and I view the world through the lens of one of the most misunderstood and diverse generations in our nation's history. I'm a social worker and a believer of radical kindness and love as modalities of healing. My name is Andrew Council. I view the world through the lens of a generational camera phone. I wake up as a black male and go to bed as a black male. I am surviving this never-ending court case we commonly call life in the best way I know how. So welcome back, everybody. It's been a while since you and Five O has done a, a podcast, um, and thank you for those of uh, you that are joining us. We um, I don't know how many of you had a chance to look at our webinar that that we had on June 18th. Our guest tonight w- was there on our webinar uh, back then, and and uh, I asked her then if she would be on my podcast. So for those of you who are new. Uh, my name is BJ Council. UN50 uh, is an organization that goes around and talks to primarily black and brown bodies how to safely interact with law enforcement. Uh, UN50, uh, the podcast was created to talk about safely interacting with law enforcement, but also other issues concerning policing in the black community, mental health, uh, crime, education, and the things that impact uh the black community, not just policing, because we believe that the issues around policing are actually larger than policing. So um, we record and we are in the Bull City in Durham, North Carolina is where we are. Uh, So again, thank you for those that are faithful to joining and listening to us and those of you that may be new. So today, uh, who we have is Ms. Amina Thompson. Uh, who I asked uh, to join us today. And just a little bit about, I'll let her do some of the details, but I just want to let you know, she is um, um, was a magistrate or is still a magistrate. I'm not sure she'll tell us that for 13 years, but she just recently got elected uh, to, and she will become the Superior Court Clerk, Superior Clerk of Superior Court here in Durham County. Uh, she will, uh, is un- running unopposed on the November ballot. So we'll take over in December. She will be the first African-American and also the first woman to hold that position in this county. Uh, So, Amina, Ms. Thompson, thank you. Oh, one more thing, too. I just found out, for those of you that may not look at us on YouTube, she's got a a beautiful uh, painting from Uganda, right? Ghana, Uh, from Ghana. Ghana, Ghana. And uh, speaking green, so we found out she's an AKA. Yeah, so yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the conversation. Well, um, thank you for having me here. Um, As you mentioned, I'm a magistrate here in Durham. I have been that for 13 years. Um, I came here to Durham to go to school and really just fell in love kind of with the community and stuck around and made it my home. So um, I, you know, education was really, really big for my family. Both of my parents were educators. Um, you know, teachers of teachers. So that's really what they instilled in me and my brother. And so, you know, that has really been the center um, of everything, um, you know, educating myself and and then turning around and, you know, trying to do what I can to give that back to the community. And 
um, you know, spreading resources. And so that's, you know, a little bit about me in a nutshell. I have a son who's two and a half. I mentioned that uh, a few minutes ago. Um, and so that, of course, is a um, a joy and a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. And he, he keeps yeah. me um, energized for sure. <laughs> so, you, so you you went to Duke University and UNC Chapel Hill. So you you are you a lawyer at? So are you a lawyer kind of? I mean, because I know magistrates are judge. I don't think people understand when people are you a magistrate, but actually you're a judge. I don't think people yeah. understand that. <laughs> um, and so yes, I do have a law degree. I got my law degree from Chapel Hill. I passed the bar. I actually practiced law for about a year. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and I was really, you know, thrown into the fire. I tried a couple cases, um, like jury trials. I was oh, wow. in personal injury law. Um, and so, and then was appointed as a magistrate shortly thereafter. Cool. So, wow. yeah. So tell me, tell me a little bit about your parents, because I, I'm, my, my mother is, uh, she's 92 and she's an old school educator. So coming from a home with an educator, tell me a little bit about that for you, because I know um, how it was for me. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, it was never a question about whether or not I would pursue my education. Um, both of my parents went to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Mm. Um, and my dad was like a, a staunch civil rights activist. He was born in Greenville, wow. South Carolina. Wow. Um, and actually moved to Massachusetts. And, you know, when I think about it and just how privileged I am, moved mm -hmm. to Massachusetts because of the poor education in South Carolina. Wow. And, and wanted my brother and I to have something better. So moved wow. to Massachusetts. Both of my parents got their doctorates in education from the University of Massachusetts. Wow. Um, and when I think back about it, my mom was, was in residential life. Um, and so she was a resident director and had an apartment in the residence hall. Um, wow. And now, you know, when I think about it, you know, how did you afford to have two young children and you're in school? And she's like, you know, explaining to me and my brother how she did it, you know, right, right. Um, working right. on campus. Both of my parents, my dad was the director of the Office of Third World Affairs. And I think about that, too. At the time, it was called Third World Affairs. Yeah. Um, wow. And so, you know, he was the diversity, equity, inclusion guy before that was even a thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wow. Um, and so and so that's what it was. That's what, you know, I remember being in the library with them and being in class with them and being at staff meetings or whatever it was. You know, most of my childhood I spent and we lived in the residence halls. Um, you know, that's where I would sell my Girl Scout cookies wow. um, to the college students. Wow. So, yeah. So I, you know, that's what I lived every day. <laughs> and you know I'm so 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 grateful for that my my dad actually passed away um at the very start of the pandemic so about two oh. years ago oh wow um yeah so absolutely heartbreaking um, sure but I just you know I'm so proud to be able to try to carry on his legacy yeah 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 you were telling me when we first I've talked a couple of times you know that civil rights was is kind of in your bones and in your family and stuff like that so i was like okay that's cool yeah I love it. yeah wow awesome so i kind of want to i do want to kind of talk about you being a magistrate because i want people to really kind of understand it because a lot of people don't know you know 
I mean, you like you're gonna go the mat. You're a magistrate, so kind of really talk about the fact you're a judge, <laughs> you know, because you've got to listen to the person articulate to you or, or tell you what it is they want to take a warrant out on, or if an officer can whatever. But kind of just just kind of talk, you know, about what that what the role of a magistrate, especially as it relates to to community members coming into your space, but. Uh, as a police officer, it used to so back way back in the day when I first started hearing, said, you know, magistrates are actually they're judges. I was like, oh, you know, it was even a little mind blowing for me. I was like, okay, I get that, yeah, and I can see that. But most people, they they just don't they don't call you judges. I don't even know why they why don't they call you judge instead of calling you magistrate. You know, you know, I tend to call myself a judge. I I tend to use the title magistrate judge. Um, because I do think that people aren't aware totally of what magistrates do. And in a lot of instances, magistrates don't get the respect that the position right. really should as yes. far as being a judge and being mm -hmm. a judicial official. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I have the I have had the benefit for working most of my career as a magistrate on the civil side. Um, okay. And I now, when I started and now again, work on the criminal side. So I've been able to okay. see, you know, kind of the breadth of what magistrates deal with. Um, wow. So on the civil side, um, it's landlord tenant cases, small claims cases, okay. um, and then marriages, you know, administer oaths, things like that. But mainly um, how it affects the community is those landlord tenant cases, obviously. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if no one appeals the judgment, it's a final judgment. Wow. Um, so, you know, you don't get any more of a judge than that. Wow. Um, and that, you know, is huge. Just the, you know, the housing, what is really yeah. a crisis. Um, and then also small claims. So anything less than $10,000, if you, you know, don't have an attorney, just want to collect money that somebody owes you which is, uh, you know, also, you know, very detrimental to someone who, you know, none of us have money, $500, $5,000 to just give away. So Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so on the criminal side, the magistrate is kind of the, the, the gatekeeper also, issues charges, um, you know, finds probable cause on warrants for arrest, criminal summons, and sets conditions of release. You know, that's the main thing that magistrates do that interfaces with the community. Also issues involuntary commitments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and mm -hmm. a lot of people, especially now, it's such a drastic difference from when I started 13 years ago um, in the criminal magistrate's office. The number of people who come in for IVCs, in my you know estimation, has really skyrocketed. You and and what you used acronyms? What was it? What the IVC, which is the involuntary commitment. Procedure. Okay. All right. You know, um, if someone is you know having a crisis or you know mental health or substance abuse, and their loved one or a clinician feels that they need to be evaluated for for those things. Um, and so, you know, we we issue those the the paperwork that gives an officer the right to go pick the person up and take them to be evaluated. Yes. Yeah. I, I want to go back to the um, briefly the civil, the, land, the landlord stuff, because you said once you make the judgment and there's no appeal. Right. Obviously, by the 
I guess, the person who the landlord came in on, right, about? Well, you know, in some cases, the landlord does not prevail, and then the landlord okay. may appeal. So okay. whoever the, you know, the not prevailing party can appeal for any reason or no reason at all, and they have essentially a new trial, okay. as if it were never heard before. Okay. Is that is that is that costly for me as a as a community member? Does it cost either I or the landlord anything? It does cost. Okay. Um, the co the cost, you know. It so yes, it's costly. You okay. can uh, you can petition to appeal as an indigent or without paying a fee, and then okay. you know the clerk handles that. There are certain there are certain criteria. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's that. I don't know too much about the civil side. I just know about the criminal side. And I definitely yeah. know a lot about the uh, in, involuntary commitment papers because that was something that law enforcement, you know, we, I mean, I, I just remember we always go down to the magistrate and have to go pick up someone who was or a family member had taken some papers out on a loved one because of the mental health crisis. So that was just, you know, one of the things that that obviously I'm, I'm familiar with. And then, you know, stuff. So I think I also let me you know what you said something and and I still tell people <laughs> that comment you made on a webinar about and it's just so true you you made a comment about police officers sending people down to the magistrate to take out warrants and and I think what you know one of the reasons I you and 50 I'm trying to get folks to understand as far as law enforcement I mean I, I'm about holding law enforcement accountable you know, what, you know, if we're doing something that is unprofessional or aggressive or is just, you know, shooting something like 16 times in the back is just, you know, we don't need to do that. But on the other side of that coin is trying to figure out how do we keep the government out of our homes and looking at that comment that you made as a law enforcement officer. If there's a misdemeanor that happens either not in my present or it's not rising to the level of serious injury and it's just that, then yes. When you said that, I was like, you know what? She's all right. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I'm in an argument. I'm going to somebody's house about a disturbance and they're like arguing and they're like, well, I want to take a warrant out on him. OK, well, you go down there and do that because I'm not going to do that as a police officer because that, that, that doesn't involve me. So I kind of want you to kind of talk about that. I know we've talked about data and I, I you know, why I live and die on data, but just anecdotally, I'm trying to figure out how do we as a black community stop calling the police and stop bringing this judicial government into our homes? Um, you know, from your perspective, you know, how can we stop that? Or, or how do we educate folks? It's about education. I mean, how do yeah. we do that? So, well, part, you know, part of the process is that in order to take out a warrant, you have to have called the police and made a report. And, you know, we would have to look at our police report before we could issue a charge. Okay. So, oh, 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 okay. Okay. I mean, I'm getting time out because that's not how it used to be. Right. It did not used to be like it that. Didn't when, back, I first, yeah, when I first okay. started, it, was, it certainly was not that way. Okay. All right. So I want to make sure that the audience understands because back in the day, we would just go, you go downtown and take a warrant. I, police doesn't write, don't write a report. They don't do anything. They just say, boo, go downtown, take out a warrant out, whoever you want to take a warrant out. And there's no police report. Now you're telling me, go ahead, go ahead. Because I, I didn't know that. 
that the process has changed, that the process has changed. <laughs> Good. And I was in, you know, I was in civil court during the transition. And when I, you know, when I returned to criminal court, that, you know, that is the process. And I, you know, won't comment on whether I, you know, what I think about that, but yeah, yeah. it's part of the process that the person now has to definitely has to call the police and there has to be presumably some type of investigation there. Wow. Um Wow. You know, that I could, as a magistrate, give whatever weight I decide to give it or not give it. Um, and then I can issue a charge or not. Um, and so I will say that, and this is something, you know, since I've had a conversation with you, I've, you know, been looking at it and, and seeing what I've, what I notice. Um, and it is sometimes law enforcement, I think, there is a, you know, discretion about whether you as law enforcement take, decide to take out a charge or not. Right. Um, you know, based on something that happened outside of your presence. Um, and actually, someone who appeared in front of me mentioned that he didn't understand why law enforcement hadn't taken out a charge on his behalf because a similar situation happened with him. And in his in his case, it was with a white guy, um, and law enforcement came and took out a charge against him, and you know he had to appear in court, and it was misdemeanor charges. Um, okay. And so that is something that I, you know, think also has to be examined. Is there right. a difference, of course, with law enforcement deciding to take out a charge on somebody's behalf or give their you know story more weight? than another person who has right. to then come down by themselves, call the police, make a, another report, you know, do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. you know, th that's probably, you know, tangential to what you asked me, but you know, that is, is no, I think a factor that needs to be considered. Yeah, no, no, no. This is this is the, these are the difficult conversations that I want to have. I mean, we got to, we got to figure that, figure this thing out. You know, you know, what is it? Is there, is there discriminatory? You know, I'm going to go down. Yeah, I'll write this report for you and and, and do X or, or not. I mean, you're right. I mean, the power of arrest is one thing, but the power of discretion mm -hmm. <laughs> is a whole nother thing, you know, because you, yeah, you know, the, it's more powerful than the arrest, actually, in my opinion, because it sets you free depending on who you give it to. Um, so no, I think those are the kind of things that, that have to be looked at those on un these uncomfortable conversations, but figuring out how do you track that? But I think what I would like for you to do is, so let's just BJ and her spouse have, a, have an argument. And so I, the police are here. I might've done something, but it's a misdemeanor. So they actually have to write a report. If, if, if somebody in this space says they want to take a warrant, my partner says she wants to take a warrant out on me, right? But there has to be a report done first, right? Right. Once the report is done, then I go to the magistrate? Correct. And that is a very good example because it's a domestic situation. So, you know, you probably know at law enforcement, then your discretion to go ahead and arrest somebody you know, of course, is a little bit higher for yes. the safety of whatever the situation is. 
Yes. And so that is a perfect example where a law enforcement agent can say, oh, it's a misdemeanor. I don't really know. Or can do some more investigation, can ask a few more questions and decide that, mm -hmm. you know, somebody has to be removed. Um, right. So, yeah. Wow. So so there's no. So what kind of warrants are. I mean, I guess I'm also trying to figure out, and you and I have talked about this before, just trying to figure out what's pushing black and brown bodies into the system. Is it, is it, and I'm not talking about drug dealers and stuff like that and and, and folks that are carrying, I'm, I'm talking about just the misdemeanor stuff. I mean, what's pushing people in the, into the system that really shouldn't be pushing them into the system, like communicating threats, you know, little stuff like that. And, and, I, and I may be kind of, overselling that, but I'm trying to figure out how, and, you know, why we call the popo to the house, you know, what's, what's, what's bringing the government to your house and they end up killing you. And now you're mad at, at the, at the law enforcement, but yet there is, there's this inability or we haven't figured out how to teach kids who grow into adults on how to solve problems and communicate. So I'm really trying to figure out on, on a granule level, as far as, what's pushing black and brown bodies into the system on that small level. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm rambling. I'm just trying to figure no, out what, what is it that's really pushing them in there? Yeah. It makes sense. And I think it comes down to people not knowing what to do, you know, mm -hmm. in, in whatever their situation is. Um, they may have tried to, you know, they may have tried everything. They may have tried nothing. You know, there's, there's definitely a spectrum of people who, are just fed up and they did not want to come down to the to the magistrate's office, but this is kind of their last resort. They may even be scared, you know, if I do this, it's going to, you know, create further retaliation, but I don't know what else to do. Um, and then, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, there are people that's their first instinct, you know, or that's what they were told to do, you know, and so I don't think there's one singular thing that is is driving people. Yeah, you know, I guess maybe I'm just trying to try to figure out this too simplistic because I'm just trying to like, do we just really need to call it? I mean, and and you kind of said it that for some people it's like, I have a friend of mine. Well, well, she was on the on the thing the telecommunicator, Gerald, right? And now one is default for everything, you know. So I'm trying to figure out is that also a default for going to the magistrate? It's like, okay, I'm just gonna go down here because I'm mad, or I'm gonna take a report out, get a report done, then I'm gonna go get you arrested, and then here we go. You know, is it is just a, you know, for some folks, is this just a default for some? Yeah, I do. I do. You know, I guess the lack of education and the lack of resources, if you don't know, if you don't know a number to call that fit your, fits your particular situation, then you only have so many options. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people as well call the magistrate's office. Oh, really? Yeah. A lot of people, you know, about things that is not within our purview. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so how do we how do we do that? How do we educate folks? I mean, I, magistrates don't go around and tell folks, you know, you don't need to call us for this. You can call us for that. I mean, that's not anything, you know, it's not like you guys got a tour going on. But how, how would you how'd you help educate folks to this is what you use this for, you know? Well, that is something that I hope to do as, oh, okay. as, as clerk. 
um, you know, make resources more readily available for people, make, you know, sort of a repository of information where people who at least that are seeking it can find, you know, different resources for their particular situation. Um, that is certainly something that I hope to do within the courthouse and also, you know, hopefully a website. A lot of a lot of counties have websites separate and apart from ALC's website okay. um, that, you know, just has resources and information. Well, so, you know what? I I, uh, I apologize for overlooking that. You know, I mean, I know I mentioned that you're going to be the new uh, county clerk of Superior Court. So go ahead and talk about what what is that? What, what are you going to be doing? And, and talk about some of the things that you want to do that probably going to be pretty creative um, because you're going to be the first of everything. And let me just talk about first. I mean, I'm not want to take too much of your thunder, but, you know, it's 2022. And we still talking about first black this and first black that. Yeah. <laughs> not again, yeah. not to take the shine off your stuff, but, you know, I'm getting, it's like, really, y'all? But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I um I ran against uh, a well-liked incumbent mm -hmm. who's been in office for 20 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so uh you yeah. know you took, I, you took down a big one, that's for sure. You took down a big one. <laughs> um and so you know, I'm looking forward to the challenge, and it certainly right. is gonna be a challenge, a transition. Um, attrition has always been a problem. And so, oh, wow. especially in this time period, um, you know, I'm not expecting that to be any different. Of course, it's getting worse across industries. Right. You know, right. especially service industries. Yeah. And this, the clerks are, it, you know, it's customer service. Yes. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to that challenge for sure. But the clerk of Superior Court is a judge administrator, record keeper, and comptroller. So the judge over many special proceedings, estates cases, um, wills, name changes, adoptions, uh, foreclosures. Um, so really a lot of the cases that affect our lives and legacies are, are heard by the, the clerk of Superior Court. Um, also the record keeper. So keeps all the records in the courthouse and provides access to those records. Collects all the money, the fees and fines that come into the courthouse and distributes them, holds it, invests it, you know, different. And um, so also the administrator. So the people that you deal with when you come into the courthouse, the, that is, those are all assistant and deputy clerks. So what is it that, because you, I'll use the term legacy as far as, you know, land and, you know, wills and all that kind of stuff. Is there anything that you think that people, you think, especially Black folks that may not know that they, it would be a good thing for them to do or utilize what you're, this, that, that stuff when you just rattled off and I apologize because, you know, my brain, fifth grade brain. So, I mean, there are things that the community might, well, oh, you know, I never knew that. And maybe I should do that for the, because you, you tossed out the word legacy, uh -huh. you know, and, and, and we own land and we own property. And are there things that we might need to start doing that we weren't aware that we need to start doing? Well, so first of all, I, as a magistrate and also as a clerk, will not be able to give any legal advice. Right. right, um, right. So, so everything I say is not to be taken as legal advice, but just, you know, from my experience 
as right. being kind of involved in the judicial system. And the one thing I would say is that we do not have wills. Mm. We don't, you know, and that is the a big thing, you know, it's kind of even taboo in our community. You know, mm. if you have a will, you're saying I'm going to die or you want me to have a will because you want something from me or, you know, and, I, <laughs> you know, we have all different in that, you know, that that maybe I'm saying a little of that in jest. But, you you know, you hear all these reasons why yeah. we don't. And, and that's the biggest thing, because it makes right. it so much easier for the people that you love and are leaving behind. Right. Um, right. Be, right. You know, to not even have to be involved in the court system to to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, so wow. that, that that would be the main thing. Right. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. I mean, I've, I've, I'm all the half and I, we've got all that stuff, you know, because you're yeah. right. I mean, you might as well go ahead and do it now because, I mean, I think about like my parents are, are elderly and, and we've got the will and the power of attorney and all that. And, and yeah, it's kind of, you know, you don't want to talk about it, but then yeah. in that moment, you know, because I, I, I mean, I've been blessed. I haven't had anybody in my immediate circle die, but I can't imagine, you know, like you have experienced that as to I'm really not going to be in the mood to kind of figure out a lot of mm -hmm. stuff. I kind of want all that, all that done before mm -hmm. I, I, I'm on an emotional basket case. So, yeah, yeah I get yeah, that. Yeah, no, seriously, we, they're just, you know, difficult conversations. We don't like having them, but that, you know, we should have mm -hmm. all of those conversations with our loved ones while they're able to participate in the conversation. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So thanks for, yeah. Cause I was just like, okay, so what is it that the clerk has appeared? So basically you're just going to be housing all our paperwork is basically what you're going to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and making sure it's efficient, you know, and that the, the access is, is efficient and equitable and whether it comes to the clerks that are in the courtroom or that are, you know, it's really serving the public. So right. you know, when people come into the courthouse, they should be able to get information and help. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we, you know, you've been on the civil side and the criminal side. Now you're going up and kind of, you're going to have all the paperwork that from the civil and magistrates and stuff like that. So I guess I'm just for, you know, this climate that we're dealing with, the judicial system, I mean, just from where you're perched and where you've been, is there anything that you can just, I don't know, just offer uh, from that those perches as to how the Black community can can either avoid or navigate the system when they, when they unfortunately kind of get caught up in it? Um, so of course, prevention is, is the best thing. Like I was saying with the wills and things like that, yeah. to not get involved in the system, to be prepared, um, and, you know, do the right things on the, on the front end. So you're not, you know, so you don't have to be involved in that system. Right. right. And so, right. you know, I, I think I mentioned with the involuntary commitment that there is a large rise in mental health crises. Um, and so I think that's a really big thing um, that we all need to take a look at. And it kind of needs to be destigmatized in our community. Mm -hmm. um, so people can talk about, you know, whatever problems they're having or, you know, be able to say, OK, I need a moment right. or I need right. some help. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. I was I was laughing because this morning in the car, I asked my son if he wanted to call his grandmother on the phone. And he said, no. And I was like, why not? You know, you, you want to talk to your grandmother? He said, I'm hungry. Um, and so and I'm like, you know what? If more people would say, you know, I don't want to have this conversation right now. I'm hungry or I'm angry or I, you know, right. we, would all, we, we would all be so <laughs> much better off. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, that that's a big thing. Um, if we could all take a lesson from my son, <laughs> just in, you know, if you need a minute, say you need a minute. Say you need a minute. <laughs> so uh, that's interesting. Uh, involuntary commitments. I mean, and you're right. So. Does that necessarily mean that a person doesn't have they do obviously they don't have access, right? Is that is that another way to get access or that's just a last resort to 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 come and get the individual? I mean, what I mean, you know, there's a lot of people don't what am I trying to say? How involuntary commitment is what is that? I mean, I know what it is. I'm not saying I know it's to come and get someone who's having a mental health crisis. What what leads up to that? What is missing in that family that they have to take out involuntary commitment? I guess is what I'm saying. Is that I don't have health insurance or what is it when they do that part? Um, so really the, the standard is that the person is a danger to themselves or okay. to someone, to someone um, else. Okay. Um, so they, a lot of times families will come in kind of as a last resort because they know that the person either has mental health in their family, Mm -hmm. you know, they see signs and symptoms of what would be considered mental health issues that have perhaps never been diagnosed, you know, sometimes and that's also on a spectrum right, too. Right. Some people are like, you know, the person has been diagnosed. They're definitely off their right. medication. You know. Mm. And then some people are like, you know, no, she's never been diagnosed, but she's exhibiting these mm-hmm. behaviors. And she said, okay. you know. Um, and so, you know, people come and it, it allows the officer to go pick the person up and take them for evaluation. Right. That's yeah. after that, the doctor will right. say, you know. Okay. Which is different than, you know, somebody being declared incompetent. Mm-hmm. Totally, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a higher higher level mm-hmm. of they're not being able to handle their own right. affairs at right. all. Right. Um, and have to have someone appointed to take care yeah. of them. Okay. Perhaps. Let's just talk about, I mean, I kind of want to go back to, and I may be just pushing a topic that's, that's no longer a thing now, but just trying to figure out what can we do or how can we, because your education is all about education. And I, we, I don't know whether we talked about it at the event, but my thing is how can we help folks educate themselves and children how to communicate? Because if they know how to communicate and solve problems, then I don't need to call the police. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't need the judicial system and, and the government in my house trying to work out something with, you know, my other half that they can't solve because, you know, their average response time is six minutes, you know, so I ain't got time, I ain't got time to help you solve something with somebody you've been with for 20 years. I, I you know, six minutes just ain't going to be. 
uh, I mean, so from your perspective and, and the thing you've seen, do you think it has to do with, or do you think, I'm not has to do with, but is there a space for more education and teaching people how to problem solve? For sure. Um, for sure. And I, you know, I, I think that of course starts at a young age. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, of course, coming from an educational background, I think that early childhood education is is so crucial. Yeah. You know, that's when you learn how to problem solve and how to share and how to say, you know, I need a minute, I'm hungry. Right. right. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of an age old thing that we have to figure out how we can deal with that piece. Yeah. Um, because for sure, I think the education is is the crucial part. And, you know, people say that it's the great equalizer. Yeah, that's the difference between, you know, being a have and a have not. That's the difference between knowing the right way to handle something and ending up, you know, in jail. Yeah. And and I think we talked about it on at the at the, the event a little bit. It's all about it really is boils down to education. Um and trying to figure out you know the, the other thing too and again it's just data that I'm trying to find find out too that individuals that are coming into the system, I think we already know the prison population. Um you know, most of them individuals, black and brown bodies, don't even have high school diplomas. I mean, we we already know that. So uh I mean, also, it does that mean that they're also the ones that are coming down and taking warrants out on each other, you know, um, because this is a last resort, even though now, you know, that you educated me, they got to they got to have a report, you know, they got to have a report. So I think it's just I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out and, and I, how do we keep the government out of judicial system out of people's houses? Huh. I uh, I know I, it's a big one. I know, right? I, I mean, yeah, that that that's a, you know, like I said with my my friend the telecommunicator. I mean, it's a default. Nine one one is a default to call the police to your house. You know, and then here we go making a report, and now we down there taking out a warrant. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know. So I, you know, I I guess I think of it a lot from an institutional standpoint. Mm. Um, and just as far as the training of the 911 communicators, of the clerks, of the magistrates, of the people who are on the front lines, mm -hmm. um, to be able to disseminate appropriate information mm -hmm. and to be able to kind of triage what needs to happen. No, you don't really need a, a you know, a police officer. You need, you know, mm -hmm. X. Right. Right. Um, and so really from an institutional standpoint, that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and that's um, I think it's easier for the institutions to pivot and to offer that training and to offer those resources than for to expect each individual to be able to, you know, figure it out on their own. Wow. I like that. I, I really I really like that. Um, that the it's easier for the institution to pivot because they're gonna they're gonna hopefully they I, I don't know whether this makes sense because they're not gonna be the ones they're not the individual who's probably in that crisis right mode. right you know right. yes yeah, so, so they're not stressing so they have that opportunity I, I love that 
That's customer service yeah. on a larger scale. Yeah, and so I I absolutely see you know more need for training across the board. Uh, you know, with all of our officials, law enforcement, mm-hmm. you know, judges and magistrates, nine one one communicators, all mm-hmm. everybody, mm-hmm. Um, clerks, yeah, everyone. You know what, that fits into some more of the conversations I'm having, too, with some folks in law enforcement is just the changing the way that law enforcement is actually trained. I mean, we spend a lot of time learning how to shoot, drive, write reports, but we don't spend a lot of time communicating. Right, how right. To problem solve. And you learn, learning how to de-escalate and yeah. learning how to, you know, certain things that will really make a difference in a split second about about somebody's life. Yeah. Yeah, taking that t- yeah, taking that time. And and see that's the other thing I think too, I push back sometimes on the community. You know, I I don't have a problem standing there with you with 20 minutes, but you gotta understand that means I can't get to that next call that they might need. I don't, you know, if you want me to stay here and de-escalate and talk to you for 30 minutes, I can talk to you for 30 minutes because that means I ain't running no call, but also somebody else probably needs me. But we gotta learn how to do that. Um, and to hear you say that, that's at all levels. Cause it's it's a it's a different space now. Um it's a different space. And hear, hearing you put it that way, that we all need to figure out how to pivot when that person is in front of us with that crisis at every level of the judicial system. Yeah, That's, I love that. That's probably going to be the name of the uh, podcast. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Institutions need to know how to pivot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I, I know that for me, it's law enforcement. We, a lot of the training hasn't changed and I've been out of it for you know, 20 years and 30, been almost 40 years since I've been in the academy. And basically a lot of it is, is really basic law enforcement. It's, it hasn't changed. It yeah. hasn't changed. And I think it is a big part of it is, as I keep saying, it's kind of preventing it from escalating to that level, you know, because then once it escalates, then you'll be there for two hours, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. much better to spend an extra, you know, and with the right training, you can cut that, 30 minutes down to 15. So, yeah. you know, it's it's better to spend that 15 minutes on the front end than yeah. You know. Yeah, and and the only thing I'd say about de-escalation because I want folks to understand that, you know, as in law enforcement, de-escalation that's the buzzword that everybody's doing, but it's also we're trying to figure out how to communicate, get the person to do what we ask them to do, but also recognize they need the audience to understand that sometimes you can't de-escalate just because law enforcement, I mean, that's just the nature of that beast. Uh, but those times when we can, when, you know, we need to, that, that needs to be where we need to start. Uh, but recognize that in some situations, stuff goes south and that's just human nature. That's, you know, that's, again, that's just the nature of the beast, but de-escalation should always be trying to, to, to do something. Cause I just did a, I was, somebody sent me something about a man that was, he, he ended up dying, but the office didn't, didn't, what I can see didn't, they sat, they, they put him down on the ground, but for law enforcement, that's the safest space for a person to be for us. Get you on the ground and I can do what I need to do. And then people are like, why didn't they de-escalate? Well, this man was in his underwear. He was running around in the middle of the street. There's, you can't de-escalate that. Okay. You have to do something with that. And sometimes it doesn't end well. So I just want to make sure people understand, yes, you can de-escalate when there's that time, but if people are actively doing something physical, that's not a moment that you can, you can't start with de-escalation on that one. You've got to figure out how to get them calm first. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, I appreciate you saying that because you guys deal with that too. 
So police officers already made a report. So they're still coming down and they're probably still angry, right? When they, right. some of them are still kind of cranked up when they're in front of you. So what do you do with that? I mean, you know, that's when it comes down to knowing how to communicate and knowing <laughs> how to, you know, yeah. not say things that are, or at least try not to say things that are going to trigger a person even further or, mm. you know, and a big thing I say is, you know, just to show people respect and just there you go. to, yeah, you know, that's the, that's really the main thing because you see that all the time with judges and magistrates, with police officers, with, you know, everybody who will talk down to someone who's come in front of them or who, you know, treat people a certain way. And not to say I haven't been guilty of being short with somebody right. or, you know, maybe delivering something differently than I should have. Right. But I, you know, as a fundamental rule, I try to always just show people respect. And, right. and generally, you know, you, you can't lose with that. Oh, you know, I'm here to probably start wrapping this up, but I want to let you know that you saying respect is just R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I've been doing this work for since 2017. And uh, there are five things that always come up during my presentations with primarily black and brown bodies. And the first thing that always comes up is the law enforcement officer didn't respect me. Uh-huh. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that that's like if if you can show it in a bit, it, it just respect, just respect. And and the thing that I use, I mean, is that they sit, you know, they're th the, the example is like on the south side of town, you get what's up, homeboy, right? But on the north side of town, you get, sir, how can I help you today? Right. You know, just just something that simple. And 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 it's just kind of like and um I'm trying to get some training for law enforcement to talk about why black folks, you know, are a little annoyed with y'all. And that's the first thing I throw in the room. And I feel like I'm talking to first graders because they're like, respect, you know, because that's just, that's, that's human. That's just treating another human being with respect. And I feel like I'm like talking to, I'm, ha I'm saying something to, to adults that we all got when we were, <laughs> we were kids, right? Yeah, it seems so simple, but yeah. really, I mean, you know, and that is the main thing that you see, especially when you start getting charges like resist, delay, and obstruct, and different things going on. It definitely comes down to uh, a respect thing most of the time. Right. So, okay, I'm getting ready to, I don't know what you, I'm jumping on what you just said. So <laughs> somebody come in there and they, they got charged with resisting and delaying. And so they're saying like, well, the officer disrespected me. Right. And I, and I don't know what I'm hearing that. I'm trying to read in between lines. I'm just, you know, they're like, it just set them off. And so here we go. Now we got, you know, you're struggling with the officer or you ran from the officer because it was something they said and, and it boils down to disrespect. Yeah, a lot of, you know, and I see that a lot of things that could have ended in a citation, you know, escalate for whatever reason. And that could be disrespect going either way. Right. You know? Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. And and see, and again, you're hitting it right on the number, you know, and I, the officers got a little boo. Don't nobody like you because you're in that uniform. You know what I'm saying? It ain't you. It's, it's not, they don't, they don't like dislike BJ. They dislike the fact I'm in this uniform and what I represent. So that's why they're disrespecting you. And you can't take that personal. Yeah.
Yeah, yeah. And that's what I, again, have to remember, you know, I as the official or, you know, the, the institution mm -hmm. am in a better position to be respectful and to be because I'm not in, a, in the middle of a crisis situation. Right. Right. And, and uh, well, I like the way you said that, too, because you're right. We're just representing the institution and, and, and we should know better. Right. Because 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 and this institution is offering a service. You know, we're here, we're doing a job and we're delivering customer service. So, yeah. And, and, and I appreciate you saying so. Yeah, because some days, you know, I'm, I might have an attitude because I'm a human being. You know, I got a bad day, you know. Yeah. I got elderly parents, you know, that are having their issues and I had to listen to it for hours last night, but I got to get them to go to work. So, yeah, I may not be in the best mood today, <laughs> you know, and so I, I appreciate you. I mean, it's, it's a J-O-B. It's yeah. a J-O-B, you know. So, yeah. So, yeah, this has been really cool. So tell me what you would, uh, what you'd like to leave with our audience. Oh, wow. Um <laughs> I, I I don't know if there's one thing I'd particularly like to leave, but I'm just, you know, I'm excited to be here and excited to continue serving the citizens of Durham. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of work that we can do institutionally just to make things more equitable and more accessible and have more resources available um, across the board. So I'm just really, you know, looking forward to that. Cool. And, yeah, moving into the into the next kind of generation of of hopefully judi a judicial system. Wow, awesome! Yeah, congratulations! And so, for those of us who are are in this, the Bull City of Durham, so pay attention. Uh, she's going to be taking over uh, in December, and um, she, she's going to wanting to create information so folks to understand how to access and use that system of the clerk of court. So. Um, I'm looking forward to that and bringing changes in that and in, in that you're serving the community in a manner that they, they can learn from and, and use the resources that you're going to be making them aware of that they have access to. So thank you for, for your willingness to do that. So that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited for you. I, I can tell that you're going to be you know, doing that and, and um, just, you know, your father, I'm sure you're going to be doing that in, in his honor. Um, making sure that folks have their their civil rights and understand what that what that is and how powerful that's going to be for them. Uh, so I wish you nothing but success. I look forward to to uh, seeing what you're going to do. Don't know if I can be of any service to you, but I know I'm going to be. I've already told you I'm going to be bugging you, trying to figure out what kind of data that you know that I can use to do the work that I do and trying to help Black and Brown bodies. You know, not use the system at all. You know, as far as being a part of that. So. Thanks again for taking the time. And I, I was kind of hoping your two and a half year old was gonna gonna screw gonna, gonna run in the room. Yeah, I was kind of yeah. like, oh, hoping he was gonna do that. But you know, okay. So what what's his what's his first name? Josiah. Josiah. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was hoping he was gonna blow us up, but you know, I guess yeah. he's I guess well, he kinda what's he doing? To, you'll have to have me back. Yeah, what's he doing? What's he doing? Um, he's just, you know he's uh, he's obsessed with the alphabet, so oh, I'm sure wow. he I'm sure he's in there, you know, putting words together. Oh, or, nice! Yeah, oh, that's cool. That's yeah. Cool. All right, so thank you, uh, Amina Thompson, our new Durham Court Clerk of Superior Court, taking over in uh, 
in December. Um, congratulations again. And again, thank you for saying yes to, um, to joining us. My and for those, yeah. And for those of you that have tuned in, uh, keep an eye out for this, for those of us who live in the city. Thanks for joining us again. I know it's been a while. Um, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll have a one or two more before the end of the year. Um, as always, stay well, stay safe. Peace.